Just for a second, we'll, we'll, t- we'll play Pastor Says, if you will. <laughs> Pastor Says, say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Almost felt you weren't going to say it there for a minute. <laughs> by the grace of God, I will be what God wants me to be. Pastor says. Pastor didn't say. Yes, he did. <laughs> I'm trying to pull up a picture to sh- of a text I want to show you as the beginning of my sermon. And I had it here, and then I started that, and then lost it. So here it comes. This is a text I got on Wednesday from Dan. He's a young Christian. He went to college with my son, Blake. He now works for my son, Caleb. And he's a Christian now, and he's going to a church like ours in Houston and learning the gospel and just married recently, no children yet. And Dan, Dan texted me this text on Wednesday. I just saw a bumper sticker that says, Jesus loves you, religion doesn't. I do not understand the meaning behind that. I texted back, can you talk? <laughs> and we did. How would you answer that? <clears throat> You're driving behind this car, and you see that bumper sticker? Jesus loves people, religion doesn't. <clears throat> what do you think? I think it depends on whether or not the person that made the sticker and the person that put it on their car is coming from the perspective of an unbeliever judging the church or a Christian who's saying sometimes we get mixed up thinking our religion is more important than the Savior. It kind of depends on whether you're an unbeliever that made the sticker or you're a believer. An unbeliever would be saying, I think that Jesus Christ loves people, but the people I meet in churches, they're all kind of judgmental, right? The believer might be saying, be careful not to think just because you are active in a religious community doing religious things, but not loving people, that you're actually knowing Jesus who loves all people. We had a a really long and fruitful conversation. But I'll just say this. You can't see a bumper sticker like that, whether you're a Christian or not, and not start thinking for a little bit. That'll jar you out of your thoughts about driving or your problems and make you think about it when you see it. And the question is not who wrote the bumper sticker and why, really. For me, as your pastor or your preacher today, the question is, Where do we land when we see something like that in our own faith life? A sticker like that could actually, if you're starting to feel a little wobbly in your church, could actually wig you out and you could head out the door and kind of never come back and have a reason that you feel good about. Me and Jesus, but I don't care about religious people. Where do we land? To help us, let's just let Jesus talk to us, not a bumper sticker. (laughs) Let's let him talk to us because he prayed in front of us. Did you know that? You have a few prayers of Jesus. He gave us the Lord's Prayer. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Lord, take this cup from me, Father, right? But the, the prayer that he prayed in John 17 is not, it's the same night, but it's not the Gethsemane prayer. The Gethsemane prayer is, Lord, take this cup from me. But the prayer that, now Colton is a Christian, so forgive him for crying in my sermon. 
He's a child of God. <laughs> He's just not a grown-up. Right. So, so the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 was prayed that night, but it's not the one where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to die the next day. We have two great prayers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about the one in the Gethsemane. John 17 is a, is a prayer somewhere between the upper room where he gave the Lord's Supper and the garden. It could be in the upper room. It could be on the way. It could be just as they got to the garden, but it's before that other prayer. And it's, ama it's an amazing prayer. It takes up almost the whole chapter of John 17. John is Jesus' disciple. He's also his first cousin, and he's listening. And John and Jesus are Easterners and their family, and they talk a certain way, and John is inspired to write it in his own language. And John writes it in very simple words, but very profound meanings, and in a way that you and I don't normally speak. That bumper sticker, that's the way we speak. But the way John writes, so a lot of times Christians, when they get to John 17 and they read that prayer, they sort of get bumped off of the road and, it, and they kind of like zone because Jesus is not talking in your normal everyday language. But he is, I'm going to, my job as a pastor and shepherd is to help you see it as it really is in your own way of thinking. Because where we think, where we land is important to me about this. Jesus loves people, and so do his people love people. Okay? So this, Jesus prayed that we might live in the gospel. That's really a theme of the whole prayer. He's praying what, what Bible students and teachers have called for many centuries, long time, the high priestly prayer. He's praying for the church, the all believers on the planet as their high priest. He, that night, he is at the end of a life where he's going to give his body in place of all earthly sacrifices. He's going to be the high priest and the sacrifice that replaces Judaism. And that night, he goes to the holy, uh, the holy of holies with his father, and he says, I have a prayer for the church that we are creating through my sacrifice. And as the high priest, he prays for all believers. The ones he was living with, and even, and you're going to see in the verses I've got, he prays for us who believe in the message that they gave us. He prays for the future Christians too. So, bumper sticker says this about us. Jesus prays this about us. Jesus prayed to the Father, help them live in the gospel. Now I'm going to show you what I mean. It's got some details to it. Help them live in the gospel. My observation is that the, in, in almost all of the problems that people have in their interpersonal relationships in their family and church and community is because we do not live in the gospel as well as we should. It was Jesus' observation too. So he says, help them live in the gospel. Let me show you what I mean. So go to the, the, go to the next slide. It's there. If you want to follow me in the Word of God that's printed in the folder, it's on page 8. And we'll look at the first part of the prayer that I've got printed. This is actually from the middle of the prayer. My prayer is not that you take them, the disciples, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And when you get really bad news or life is really going crummy, 
don't you just pray, get me out of here. If you can't get me out of here and keep me on earth, then just, sometimes it's so bad, it's just, get me out of here. It happens to all of us sometime in our life. Maybe it's all of us at the end. I remember uh, Pastor Walter Deal, I never met him, but the story is, in his dying moments, he's trying to say Psalm 23, cancer is causing him incredible pain. He said, Lord, his wife told me this, Lord, take me or the pain. And Jesus prayed, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. He's about to leave. John 14, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. This is John 17 that night. He's going away. But he says, well, I'm leaving them behind. I do not pray, Father, that you bring them with me now. We've got a plan. And the plan is, is that we're leaving them on earth. But I do pray that you protect them from the evil one. Now, this is the same Jesus that said, don't worry about those who can kill the body. Worry about him who can judge your body and soul in hell. Jesus, when he says protect them from the evil one, he, he is praying protect them from persecution and pain, but it's more about protecting us from the lies of the devil that would take our faith away. Remember how the devil took Adam and Eve's faith away? They believed in God's love, and the, and the devil said what? God's worried about you being like him. He doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he's scared you'll be like him. And they believed the lie. And they no longer trusted. They lost their faith. Jesus says, Father, protect them from the lies of the devil. I'm going to categorize the devil's lies into three, the three big lies of the devil that everybody faces. Everyone faces it. And Jesus prayed, by living in the gospel, we would be protected from it. The first lie, God's word cannot be trusted. I know God said he, that he made the world in six days. You cannot trust that. I know God said this, I know God said that, but you cannot trust that. That's the devil's lie, that you can't trust God. Second big lie, I got to move on because we got a few more verses. The second big lie, sin is not that big a deal. You can do it. Remember when the devil said to Adam and Eve, you won't die if you eat of that fruit. You're going to be like God, it's not a big deal. Try it, see if you like it, right? It's not a big deal. You, you can think, you can interpret that. You don't need the preacher to apply it, but you've known how you thought, it's not a big deal, and then you find out what? It's a big deal. Sin is a big deal to God, and it's a big deal to people in your life when you sin. It, you cannot sin, even if it's not directly at somebody, without hurting everyone around you just by falling from being a good example. Sin is a huge deal. That's why God confronts sinners and then the third big lie, God doesn't love you anymore because you're such a big sinner. <laughs> he doesn't love you. See, the devil tempts you into sin, and then he harasses you with despair about your sin. And, the, and John later, John, the guy that recorded this prayer, later wrote a letter where he said, the Son of God has appeared on earth to destroy the devil's work. So that Jesus comes in and says what? You can trust the word of God. Secondly, sin is a big deal. That's why I came to die for it. And thirdly, you'll never escape my love. Even no matter how big a sinner you are, I died for you, I love you, I'm here, I'll bring you back. Right? So he deals with the devil in all of those lies. So there's the guy, Jesus, that said all those things. 
And Jesus is praying, protect them from the lies of that mean old devil while you, we leave them on earth. Don't let them believe that stuff. So what did I just do? I gave you your spiritual COVID shot. I gave you your booster. I told you what the three lies were, and I told you that Jesus is the answer. And now when those lies come, you've been inoculated by the Word of God. The Word of God also protects us from the world. Go to the next one. They, were, they my people, are not of the world, even as he's praying to the Father, even as I am not of it. And here's a fancy church word I'm going to explain to you in a minute. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, Father, I have sent them into the world. Remember, I'm not leaving. I'm not taking them with me when I go. I'm sending them out. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. What is all that sanctified stuff? You don't talk that way, I bet. So that's why I need to explain it. The word sanctify means to set yourself apart. To shine the spotlight and to be different. That's what the word sanctified means. So when Jesus says sanctify them, he says make them different than the world. Just as I am different from the world. You know, even the world of people that don't have faith can look at Jesus and go, that guy's different. <laughs> they, that's why they make bumper stickers. Jesus loves people, but religion doesn't. That guy's different. What was different about Jesus, though? He said, I sanctify myself so you, they may be truly sanctified. What was different about Jesus is that he loved God perfectly. Every other human being, not not withstanding not even his mom mother what does that have to do with me when she asked him to make that miracle remember right he Herod wanting to be the king in Jesus life I'm going to kill you if you don't stop go tell that fox I'll do what I'm going to do and in the third day I'll die and then rise again he just says I'm in charge and I love God the father above all things he set himself apart from the world that is self-indulgent and he set himself apart from the world that is self-righteous. In, in, in Philippians, Paul says, Jesus emptied himself of his own righteousness. He didn't think it, his godness and his righteousness was something to be grasped. He took the form of a servant and took on the humility of the cross that was punishment for sin. He, even, he gave up indulging himself even in his own goodness. He did not indulge. We are so unfamiliar with not indulging. It is the fabric of almost every fight in every couple, in every family, and between every sibling, but it, between mother and children. It is the problem in every church. It is self-indulgence and then the other self-righteousness. We are self-righteous. It's self-righteousness is the seed of racism, sexism, class struggle, wars, and all other ills unless it's self-indulgence. It's looking down on others, indulging ourselves in our own righteousness. It's all self. Jesus set him apart, himself apart from selfishness so he might save us. And he comes to us and says, look at my perfect life. And we look down in shame and go, oh my goodness, that is not me. And he said, I did it to take your sins away. 
I'm the holy lamb of God, holy sanctifier, the same word. And I set myself apart. He prayed this prayer the night before they killed him. And he didn't have to come to Jerusalem. He could have stayed out of Jerusalem. Peter tried to stop him, but he came in and he said, I'm setting myself apart, Father. I am setting myself apart from self-indulgence. I walked right into town to die tomorrow so these people will know you and I love them and they'll be strengthened against the lie that they have lost our love. And then you can understand that phrase, for them I sanctify myself so that they may be truly sanctified. Let me explain. If you're trying to be good in any setting for any other reason than to love God back who loved you first, it is unspiritual. Don't tell me how good you are and how spiritual you are. If your life is not a life of praise, of thanksgiving, for God's redemptive love for you, you're not there in that passage. But let me say it more positively. Because you know Jesus and you do have that motive in your life, some, you are in the process of being set apart from the world. We're all in that process. We're all on the journey. There's not one of us that's perfect like he was. So when Jesus said this prayer, he was praying for our sanctification. Remember how I had you start with pastor says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by the grace of God, I will become what God wants me to be. The grace of God in Christ helps you believe you're completely forgiven for being the booger that you are. And knowing that you're loved by God so purely, you, every day you can recover from your guilt. Every day in the gospel, living in the gospel, you can set yourself apart. Not your sin or the sin of another person can keep you from being a better person tomorrow when you believe in grace. You can't sit around and blame other people or blame yourself. You get to start fresh the minute you think of the gospel, not even tomorrow morning. You don't have to wait that long. Start fresh the minute you think of the gospel. Live in the gospel. Lord, set them apart by the gospel. Make them people that are refreshed by the good news that we love them so much. That's Jesus' prayer. That's different than the world. How many, how many families, how many couples, how many churches keep reminding everybody of how they failed? You've done this how many times? And if we don't do it with our mouth, we do it in our heart. So we've got these lists about ourselves and other people. And the gospel wipes all that away so we can be truly sanctified and you can have a loving relationship with God and people which is different than the self-indulgent, self-righteous, judgmental world because of the gospel. The next thing Jesus prays for is the natural outgrowth of what I just said. It's a unity that's fascinating and real and pure and all based on Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. Up until now, we've been applying it to ourselves, but actually he was really praying about the 12 men there with him. 
Now he applies it to us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those people who will believe in me through the disciples' message, their message. That all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin and God came walking in the cool of the day, where were they? They were hiding. Adam and Eve, what were they wearing? Fig leaves. Now, God hadn't showed up yet when they got those fig leaves. Why were they wearing those fig leaves? Because they didn't trust each other. That's, the Bible says so. When God shows up, he says, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I was naked and afraid, and so I hid. God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I told you not to eat from? The woman you gave me! That almost came out of my mouth my first year of marriage. Like, and he got, oh, I'm just like Adam, right? They had a separation in their relationship that up to then they had never experienced. They were disunited. They were dog-eat-dog, dog, every person for themselves. <laughs> and really, if I hadn't hitched up to this woman, I probably wouldn't have fallen. Attitude, right? Somebody else's fault. It's destructive to relationships. Remember what John wrote later, the guy that recorded this prayer for, for that Jesus said? He said, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the blame game, the denial, the guilt trips, he came to destroy all the lists you keep. He came to destroy all the avoidance you do, all the raising your voice to get control of the conversation because you want to be in charge and you don't like the way it was going, so you just get louder and louder. He came to get rid of all of that. The little digs, the pushing the buttons. The only reason I know all these is that I'm pretty good at them when I'm fallen. And Jesus prayed we wouldn't be this way. And so in his prayer, the Father's listening, and the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in the process on Thursday night of giving us the gospel that takes care of all that. Because the gospel is, confronts us with the truth and love of Christ, and it makes us repent to God and to each other. And when we repent to each other, what do we do? Well, you better not do it again. No, we forgive in the gospel. You're forgiven. I forgive you. We know good and well, it might, it probably will happen again somehow. <laughs> if not in person, in our mind, right? But we're still united. I'm not rejecting you. The church is a place to recover and stay in the fellowship by grace as the Word of God makes us honest with each other, honest with ourselves, and forgiving each other of the things we're honest about all the time. We announce God's forgiveness to each other. We announce our forgiveness in God to each other. And we experience a gospel unity that's built on the cross of Christ and the resurrection that said, I put all sins away. So you picture somebody who loved their church. They got into a little trouble. Somebody at church scolded them. They said, I'm never going back there. <laughs> 
they're so judgmental. And then the people go, man, they are so touchy. They're so judgmental. One person gets a little crabby with them, and they never go back. And so now they're judging them. And you're like, what's the solution? Both sides forgive each other for being fallen sinners. You forgive each other for being pouty and a pity party and selfish. And, and that unites you in a family and in a church. And that was his prayer. His prayer was not that we'd establish a religion that we all learn to be so good that we could be proud of ourselves. Over His prayer was that we would be united in the gospel. Just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Any of you ever heard of the book, The Shack? It's an amazing meditation on the, on the purity of the Trinity. And a verse like this is instructive to the writer of The Shack. Now, the, the fellow that wrote it is a universalist, believing that without faith, all people are going to end up in heaven. But he really doesn't do a good job of making that the main point, And I'm really thankful because that's not quite the right but it's, a, it's really a healing book about, and on this message about unity and grace, it'll make you cry your way to loving people that you've been mad at for a really long time. You're nodding, some of you that have read it. It's a very healing book, The Shack. God's love unites people, not religion. But it is actually a religious thought. A preacher standing in front of your church this morning who's a leader in a religion, said it as the main religious thought. So remember, people play games with that word religion on put it on bumper stickers. I'm not so, I don't so much care what the guy meant. I care where you land when you see stuff like that. Finally, taking this section of the prayer and the next phrase, you'll see one of God's biggest points about religion meaning his church. Father, may they also be in us, the gospel that we gave by living in faith in us and everything that I just showed them and I'm showing them in my life. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Can you do, pastor says, and read that verse with me? Pastor says, read that verse out loud with me. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There is, there is no mark of the church to impress the world into thinking maybe we've got something that they need to find God that is as real and as valuable as us loving each other. Did you hear what I just said? There is no mark of the church to impress people who are seeking God in the, from the world better than seeing how we love each other. Now let me just kind of kick down some sacred cows, the idols of churches. The music program. There's no 
there's no music program that can unseat the fact that we love each other is more powerful to help an unbeliever realize that God is there. There's something there that I need to see. So you musicians need to cling to that when you get a note wrong or one of your buddies leads you down the wrong track and you go, man, we really botched that, but you're the one that botched it because we were like, but also all you members who come to church and then go home and go, our music really sucks at our church. When the gospel is there and people that love each other were there, right? I said I'd kick down some sacred cows. That's just one. Let's relax about putting all our eggs in the, in the, the music at our church basket. That's the way of the world. Whether you're good at it or not, it doesn't care. Secondly, there's no perfect speech, sermon, oration that is the mark of the church. If people walk out of church going, wow, what a wonderful sermon. That guy can really preach. That's not the big mark of the church. The mark of the church is the love that we have for each other that's real. Show me a church that loves it, that has a pastor like the Apostle Paul or Moses that both were slow of speech and stammered and weren't eloquent because they love their pastor and he loves them and it's the truth that's embedded in all of that. And I'll show you a place that's really converting unbelievers versus the golden or silver tongue. That's what Jesus is saying. He didn't pray that everybody would have a great preacher at the, in their pulpit, <laughs> did he? Now, you don't see that anywhere in his writings or his sayings. He prayed that we would love each other. Why? So that the world will what? Believe that you've sent me. I'm one of those that's been accused of sounding like silver tongue. So it's no great blessing when someone would compliment that. And I've had sincere seekers say I don't trust you because you talk too smoothly <laughs> it's the love that we have for each other that validates the message that we proclaim you say Jesus loves us and show me how you love people unconditionally each other in your family and in your church and people around you anywhere else you go right Sacred cows. The morality that we live. I used to wince when I'd read these stats. You know, the news people and uh, articles and reports at 10 o'clock news and maybe now more writings outside of those kind of popular. They'll say, did you know the divorce rate is just as high among Christians as it is among the world? And as a pastor, I go, I want us to be better. Right? You know, there's just as many teenage pregnancies. There's just as many gays. There's just as many. And you're just like, I wanted us to be moral. Guess what? Our message is not how moral we are. We want to be moral for the right reasons. I just preached that. Sanctify yourself based on love for God. But not so we look good. <laughs> we look good when we love unconditionally while we're all on the journey together. The way that we treat each other and, and are patient and filled with the fruits of the Spirit, but not a morality. It's not that we all are above average and 
we wear the right clothes. I mean, we've, most of us in, in this day and age and in this church, we're past that, right? We dress up for church if we do because we want to honor God. And if we don't dress up, it's because that wasn't our thought today. It was that I just want to be comfortable and I want to make people feel comfortable around me so we're not all dressed up. Make it, we're, it's love, maybe, that's driving it, right? But the point is, don't think. Don't think that it's the way we dress or don't think it's our... Here, I'm going to really kick one down. It's our physical fitness that glorifies God the most. It's good to be fit, to, glor- to show that the, you value the temple of God because you love God and love people. But it's not what draws people to Christ. Jesus said, Lord, help them love each other so that the world will know that you sent me. So even that has to be a midget in our lives as Christians. Paul said to the Colossians, don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or whatever. He told Timothy, physical, uh, physical exercise of diet and exercise, he said it profits a little, but godliness is profitable for a great gain. Keep it the midget that it is. Sacred cows. I had a couple other ones. Let me just make sure. I got to look at them getting older. No, they're all there. You don't get any more. I bet you have some, right? Things that we would go to other than, maybe it's our buildings. I think that's the one I left out. Oh, this building is magnificent. You know, we've got... the, the, I, went, I got to go once. Timmermans took Mary and us to, Mary and me to the, the Rome, and we got to see St. Peter's Cathedral. That's where the Vatican is, right? And it blew my mind how big it was. The, the, the tour guide said, you see that statue over there? Yeah. He goes, it's real, she said, it's very deceptive. You see it? Uh, it looks like it's about 10 feet tall. But you, you know from the bottom to the top, it's 36 feet. Wow. She goes, this is a grand building. And then I said, what are these words? You know, there's an altar in the middle. What are these words here in the floor? Sally, have you seen it? You're nodding. It says, saying, this, this, this church, this, you know, different places in Europe, this church, this church. And at the back door, it says St. Paul's Cathedral in London, England. I said, what is this? And she said, uh, these are, that, that, that's the distance from the front door to the altar in those other churches and the Pope wanted people to know that St. Peter's was bigger than the biggest church. Are you kidding me? The buildings and their magnificence are the glory of God who was born in a manger for all people and destroyed the temple of Israel? There is no glory in a building anymore. Not this one, right? I remember there's a, a little building in East Fork. Many of our kids here that are grown up now have gone on the mission trip. So you know the, the church at White River called the Church of the Open Bible? It was built a long, long time ago in American history. And uh, it, 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 to many people who saw it when it was built, and they built it, it was sacred. But the present pastor at that time wanted to add on to the sanctuary to the right. But the, 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 the like two pastors before him and all of the people his age said, you can't add on to the church over there. This is an historical site. And they went out and got the historical society to come in and be their advocate against their own Christian friends. Why? And the pastor that was telling me this, he said, this is not a living museum. 
it's a, it's a building to be used to get ministry done. And praise God, he won the argument. Now, why did I tell you that? Because some of you love this building or some other building and you've got little grief and whatever. There's the prayer. People don't find out about God because of your sacred church. They find out when we love each other, right? And, 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 and good counselors will tell you, don't argue in your house because then your house becomes a memory of a bad place where you always argue, right? What if we're not loving each other in this room <laughs> or in these buildings? You know what happens? You'll grow to despise the building because when you step in, you think of what? The conflict and the chaos. Sacred cows, Love each other, and the world will know. Um, the, the clarion call of what Jesus' prayer is saying, and there's more to the prayer, but we're, we're done with any preaching on the prayer. The, sacred, the clarion call is that we would listen to his prayer knowing what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are saying about us and for us, and we get with, in line with the program and we enjoy it. And we, we are confirmed and affirmed that as long as we're loving each other and the gospel, we're going to be okay with all this other stuff going up and down and all around, getting our way and not getting our way. And so I just want to share with you a text that affirmed for me that was from my friend Dan. It was a, You know how you flip back through text sometimes to see what's above it? What, what you used to talk about? Dan came to see us for a weekend and... Uh, he went home, and I made sure he got home safely like a, a father would. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to find it while I'm talking, and I can't multitask. I'm a male. So. The, the text between us right above the one that we had, I said, are you home safely? This was like two weeks earlier. He said, I just got home and unpacked my truck. Thank you again for the hospitality and for putting up with me. Isn't that the way we feel in a Christian family and Christian love? When we, we get away from an event where we're like a little grumpy or irritable or whatever. I don't, I don't remember anything like that. But, you know, we get away and we go, man, I sure am thankful they are patient with me. <laughs> they put up with me. The reason I said that is that's the answer to the bumper sticker. Do God's people love people? The way that Jesus does? Well, sure we do. And if we don't, we just heard about it. So we're leaving here going, we're going to work at that, right? We're God's people and we're going to love people so that people would maybe put a bumper sticker on their car that says, Jesus loves people and his followers do too. <laughs> because they've experienced it because they know who? You. Because they know you, they'd put a sticker on their car that says his followers love people too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, watching you pray and having John tell us what, it, what you said on the very night that you knew was your last night on earth. It's life changing for us. We know you love us. And we, we've known that love. We're not new at this. 
But we know that we've often not loved the way you do. Make your prayer come true in our lives. Help us to trust that in our Christian life as a group and as an individual, we don't have to have anything more than what we already have. We have your love and your truth, and that is enough to make the world sit up and see that we've got you. Help us to not miss our opportunities, and when we do, help us to get back in there and make new opportunities with the same people, trusting that your love will come through to them, and you'll, you will give them the best chance that they would ever have to know that you are their Savior. Amen.